ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Ladies and gentlemen, I am so excited. It has been far too long since we assembled the Voltron, the superpowered <laughs> trio that we like to call the Dome Patrol here on Hard in the Paint. And, uh, you know, these are some of the busiest people in sports media. So it's always hard to get us together. But when we do, we have a lot of fun. So I like to welcome back for the first time in a long time, my good friends, my colleagues, my peoples. Maddie Hudak and Ross Jackson. Folks, I'm so glad to see you. So glad to talk to you. And this is a great time to do it. About not a little more than a quarter, not quite a third away through the season. It's a good time to assess where the New Orleans Saints are. Maddie, first, welcome back. How are you doing, my friend? I'm good. It has been way, way too long since we've done one of these things. It absolutely has. Ross, welcome back to you, my friend. It's been different for you now because you're in the city. You're here. You've been with the team on a week-to-week basis. And um, just how has that adjustment been for you to really be in the middle of things now rather than having to watch from miles away? Yeah, no, it's it's all positive um, in terms of what that adjustment has been thus far. First of all, I'm grateful to be home. Uh, so it's really rejuvenating to be back in this city and everything. And then to be able to be close enough to be able to uh, take part in practices and, uh, you know, press conferences and all these other things. You know, I can be the person in the room asking questions now, which is really, really nice and uh, something that I take a lot of pride in. I just want to, before we get into the Saints content, I just want to be like, I'm so excited for, for the both of you and, and just over the last year, because um, just thing, great things have been happening um, for, for this group. I mean, you know, Maddie just killing it with the sideline reporting, um, expanding her career, doing scouting and, and all the things that you do um, and your voice, the credibility that you have. Um, you know, I think it's funny that still sometimes when you get introduced on the radio, like people have to put your credentials out and um, they do that. You know, obviously they do it because you're a woman, um, but I've never. And I think Ross is the same way from our first conversations. I've never had to felt like the need to explain that Maddie knows football because Maddie knows a lot more than a lot of people, including me. Maddie and, knows more than me about football. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So <laughs> I don't ever feel the need to explain why Maddie is the shit at what she does. So, so just Maddie, how's it been for you? Just the, the, the opportunities that have come your way and the ones that you've created for yourself. Yeah, it's been like night and day, just kind of after taking the scouting Academy and realizing what that knowledge really helps bring. I noticed it first in my sideline reporting, just kind of seeing things that I wasn't able to see last year. Uh, there was also a little less confusing schemes this year that I was able to kind of decipher, but <laughs> It does really slow the game down for you in a way that I never really understood what people were talking about when they used that phrase until kind of being able to see it for myself and going to the press box, feeling like I'm not necessarily a fish out of water trying to get my head around it in real time. So it's definitely been a really fun ride up. And Ross, you know, just Saints, um, Locked on Saints continues to grow. Um, Things are going, you know, your writing continues to get out there. Um, what's been the thing for you, man? We're just uh, the, the biggest achievement for you over this past uh, couple months. Oh, biggest achievement. 
so many to count. No, I'm just playing. Um, no, it's just that like, I don't know that I look at any of it necessarily as achievements. I think I just kind of look at all of it as like a part of the journey and everything. So I, I, I guess the, the biggest thing for me is um, just sort of with everything that has expanded, expanded access, expanded, you know, expanded, you know, listenership, expanded viewership, readership, all of that. The only thing that I consider in the midst of all that is how much more responsibility I have to delivering what matters and delivering it accurately. So that, that maybe that's the badge of honor that I wear right now is that I'm doing everything that I can to make sure that all of the extra people that are listening, all the extra people that are reading, all the extra people that are paying attention, all the folks that are vouching, all the folks that are, you know, supporting, encouraging all of that, that I'm doing, I'm accepting sort of like that responsibility to do my work that much better, uh, you know, with all of those eyes, with all of those, uh, those hearts, like everything that's involved in that. So I think that's the thing that I probably am most proud of is that I have a, I have the ability to be able to like challenge myself in that way, I guess. My man was doing three videos during training camp a day, three shows that that was truly something else from Ross, honestly. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm happy if I get five or six done a week. And you're doing three a days. Team don't don't practice three times a day. <laughs> like I don't care. People, I, I think people do it. Like even if it's twenty minutes, even if it's just twenty minutes three times a day, that is a long amount of time. I tell people all the time in this business: if you go try and talk for thirty minutes straight and sound intelligent, make transitions to other topics, and do that with no help, go do it. <laughs> It ain't fun. This is it's not fun. It's the, <laughs> I enjoy what I do, but that learning process is not fun. All right, let's get into the football. That's what folks tune in for. So we got to start, and we have to recap what it will forever be known as the Taysom game. I don't. I mean, there will probably be a better name for it at some point, but it is the Taysom game. Like all the things that you would have ever imagined Taysom Hill doing in one game. Outside of, I think the only thing he didn't do was block a punt. You know, we've seen Taysom do that before. But everything else, Taysom runs for three touchdowns. Taysom throws for a touchdown. Taysom's, you know, returning punts. Taysom's blocking. Taysom's doing everything. And quite frankly, I'm surprised it took the Saints this long to get him back into double-digit touches, especially after what you saw in week one. I mean, we know Taysom is limited in all the things at a certain level, but he is a playmaker. And I was just surprised that for a team that has utilized him with with no discretion in the previous three, four years, all of a sudden was meeting out its dosages of taste. Maddie, what do you think? I think that game was really, I think, where Dennis Allen kind of made his mark and and utilizing him finally in a way that was impactful. I think you know, him kind of the Sean Payton connection is hard to ignore that his kind of usage went down. Mike Triplett just wrote a really great article on it, how he didn't even really know what his role was going to look like kind of heading into this season. And I think it is easier said than done when he was a part of the quarterback competition last year and, you know, was on the depth chart as a quarterback. So I think his usage made a little more sense, but it just maybe took a couple of weeks to flesh things out. But I think when the chips came down to it, you can tell the fact that he is the only other franchise player in Saints history besides Archie Manning to throw for a passing touchdown and have three rushing touchdowns in a game. And he's not, 
even the starting quarterback, he's just coming in on a few packages and the three rushing touchdowns that like everyone and their mother has knows is coming at this point. And just his quickness for how big he is will never fail to shock me. But I thought the fact that they kept him in, they kept going with it. And it wasn't okay. Well, this worked a couple times. I liked that they finally had him throw the ball. We saw that happen a couple times last year. I don't think it does much for confusing the other team because uh, again, they still can't really stop the run anyways, but it's clear that he is probably the best all around football player that there is. And I've said this a few times, but I do think there was a degree where putting him in a quarterback box was kind of almost a disservice to what all of his talents are. And I think that really that's a key moving forward is using Taysom for what Taysom is best at, which is kind of all over the board. Ross, it's kind of like that high school player. The guy that you have on the roster who plays running back, plays linebacker, plays safety, plays wherever the the situation calls for, that's where they move him because he's that talented. But with Taysom, too, the thing that he did to me, the first four weeks of the season, the Saints got out physical by their opponents. When Taysom plays, there's no subtlety in his game. It is blunt force. It is speed. And that's what he did, and I think that that helped – the mindset, the offensive line, who has struggled in getting Alvin Kamara going too, in setting up some of the things that Andy Dalton was able to do, though he didn't look, you know, it's not spectacular, but when you have that threat with Taysom of a battering ram coming at you, as the Saints witnessed when Cordell Patterson just ran right down their throats, essentially in week one, you don't take that option off the table, especially when you've been struggling with your physicality. Yeah, and I'm glad that you actually mentioned the Cordero Patterson thing because the first first thing I thought of when you were talking about how Taysom Hill brings that sort of smash mouth, that sort of physical nature of football was the Atlanta Falcons game. Because you think about the opening drive of that game where the Saints kind of came up flat over an offense, there were such high expectations. And then the next drive is this kind of Taysom Hill drive where he runs for 57 yards and then runs again for 11 yards, get in the end zone. Eric McCoy's down the field blocking for Taysom Hill like he's blocking for Alvin Kamara against Green Bay Packers three years ago, like all these things. Like it just changes entirely the way that the sort of mentality of this New Orleans Saints offense operates. Taysom Hill touched the ball, or excuse me, Taysom Hill got a total of 30 snaps in the first four games. Remember, he missed the game in there, missed week three, but a total of 30 snaps on the offensive side. The first three games that he played, 22 in last week's game. And I don't expect to see that number come down at all, especially after what we've seen. Obviously, the Saints will adjust and they'll do what they need to do in terms of game plan and how to build things, punches, counter punches, as Dennis Allen spoke about earlier this week. I think that we'll see all of that. So some games will be heavier Taysom Hill usage than others, of course, but having the option to be able to turn on sort of that physicality switch whenever you need it because you can put Taysom Hill in there and know that it changes the entire identity of the offense I think that that's a great option for you to have and one that I think the New Orleans Saints will continue to lean on in the future. Is Taysom Hill the best short yardage back since Cam Newton? I don't know who else you put in the conversation, <laughs> right? I mean... Just again, especially when it's... It's not that he's a one-trick pony, but there's no mystery when it's a short yardage situation. Taysom Hill comes out, what's about to happen? And he he finds a way legitimately every single time. And then you're not using your star kind of stallion and Alvin Kamara having to take those additional hits. I think that's also just such a big factor Mm -hmm. too. Yeah. I think the only other person that's been really effective in short yarded situations from the quarterback spot this year really has been Jalen hurts. And that was 
a part of that is because last week they ran a QB sneak seven times and were successful all seven times. So I think that that's a big part of it. Like Philadelphia is just executing the hell out of QB sneaks, but and it's a much different way, very different, right? Like in terms of what you're doing, like you're probably not going to turn a QB sneak into a 60 yard run every now and then, but the new Orleans saints came out in three different jumbo sets on three different third and ones ran the exact same play three times and a third time, or the first time he ran for four yards on a third and one that's successful. The second time he ran for five yards on a third and one that's successful but then the third time he put points on the board with a 60 yard run by running behind landon collins and jp holtz i mean this is a part of what the new orleans saints do they have their punches with Taysom hill which they'll just keep punching until all of a sudden something breaks or they have their counter punches like the throw you know the four verticals from the 22 yard line that they called out of him in, in, in shotgun and threw a touchdown over the middle to Taysom hill excuse me to uh, adam troutman i guess the only thing that is left is for Taysom hill to throw a touchdown to himself and, and that play to Troutman was reminiscent of, of, of the kind of game plan scheming, scheming that we saw out of the Saints last season and, and in years past, where you do a bunch of plays in the first part of the game that eventually give you the opportunity to, to let Taysom pass. You don't let Taysom pass on his first throw. On his first play, you don't you just don't right. do that. He has no rhythm. But once he's established that, yeah, and, and you have the defense saying every time this guy touches it, he's going to run. And then it seemed like the seam is the perfect place to, to place that ball mm-hmm. because the defense is coming from the areas that, that Taysom doesn't do well at. He's not going to read on the sides. He's not looking for the – but you send a, a pass straight down the seam and ask him to throw a bullet, yeah, he can do that. Yeah, and especially when, like, that play against Seattle, the Seahawks linebackers just didn't get their depth because at that point, Taysom Hill had already run something like seven times uh, all over them at, at that point. And we saw the same or well, similar formations in terms of what they ran that four verts out of against the Bucks and against the Falcons, and both of those were runs by Taysom Hill. So this is something you and I have talked about a ton uh, is their ability to – established tendencies to break them later on in the season. Now we're not used to watching them break them week five, but Hey, you needed a win. They needed the win. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a much better situation to be two and three than one and four. Yes. And, you know, just quickly, when you look at the NFC, you know, the saints are not in a bad position. There are only seven teams with better records than them in the NFC. A lot of them will cannibalize each other uh, through division games. And the saints still have three division games to go with two of those three being at home. There are a lot of teams at two and three. You got six teams at two and three, but the one and four teams, you start, you have to figure those are, are, are not coming out of that hole. Two and three is a much different hole to climb out of than one and four. And you look at the Saints, and there's an opportunity there starting this weekend to get to 500 and then start building something. I think this team still, nine wins are still in, in, in reach, nine or 10. That's still possible. There are things to correct, but it looks like those things are correctable. Maddie? We think about all the things that went wrong last year and they finished the season nine and eight, despite having to go through four quarterbacks, losing their starting center on the third snap of the game. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The kicking problem, all of the players that were lost that offseason. It was a complete mess last year. No Michael Thomas and the receiving corp was what it was. And they still managed to stumble their way into a nine win season. So you just think of the talent on this roster this year. I, I think it all, again, just comes down to health. And it's almost the antithesis of last year where the bye week was way too early. It was in week five. Mervyn was excited because C.J. Garner-Johnson was hurt. Marcus Davenport was hurt. And it was, oh, we're going to get them back. That's exciting. And, and David Onyemata is coming back from his suspension. And I'm like, well, that's great. But what happens 10 weeks down the line? 
So the unfortunate thing on the same side is by the time you get to the bye week, I don't, it's not even really a bye week at that point to me. It's just if they're looking at the playoffs and maybe we let, you know, have a week off for those guys. But I think health really is kind of what matters this season. But it is a good point. You know, when you look around the league, the Bengals are in the same position as the Saints. The Packers lost to the Giants. Like it, There is certainly no, I think in the NFC at least, definitive kind of top four at this point. I think if the Saints lost last weekend, it is a completely different conversation. Yeah, because you're trying again to climb out of a hole where that's already half the losses that we're talking about in a nine-win season. But I think just the momentum in that game and the fact that it was under a backup quarterback kind of in an unconventional way with Taysom Hill, but I think you guys brought up a good point in that as well, where the O-line just really seems to kind of get it together when they have to get out there for Taysom because it's almost like they know it's going to be a success all they have to do is do their assignment. And that hasn't been necessarily all that clear. But I also think with Taysom Act there, what you get to is a lot more uh, versatility with Alvin Kamara. You know, there was a couple of plays where he did end up handing the ball off to Alvin Kamara. It reminded me of the Falcons game. Uh, it was either 2020, I think it was, where Alvin Kamara had seen something. He talked to Sean Payton at halftime and they kind of played those two off each other. And that's something I don't even think we've really seen them scratch the surface of yet. But People talk about wanting Alvin Kamara to get involved more in the game. I think Taysom Hill really offers a level of game planning. And, and he just honestly must be obnoxious for other teams at this point to have to think about. Because now you have to think, yeah, are they going to play to him in that many snaps? Is he going to throw a pass? We know he's going to run, but there's so many possibilities that he brings to the table that I, I think this season really did kind of flip on its head in a way I don't think I expected, even if they did manage to squeak out a win, it was kind of the way in which they won. And the fact that yes, the explosive plays on defense happened, but the offense was actually the one who brought it home for once. And it wasn't the defense having to make stop after stop after stop. So the offense can score some amount of points. It was the most points they've scored all season, most points they've scored in the first half. And that is really hard to ignore uh, considering how we've seen the first couple starts. Yeah, 17 points in the first half equaled the amount of points they had in the first four games in the first half. Yeah. That that tells you how bad it's been for the Saints. And they scored seven of those in one game. So, you know, it's, like, it's not been pretty um, in the first half. They needed that. And I think the physicality out front, again, they, they established the run. You get over 200 yards on the ground. And like you said, the impact on Alvin Kamara, for him to be able to both run and catch – in that game, accumulate, what, over 170 total yards. Um, th- those are the kind of performances we want to see out of Alvin. And I think when you have Taysom, it also keeps you from overusing Alvin, which I think is something, again, that was the precedent that Sean Payton set. I don't want him getting 30 carries. I don't want him getting hit because we've seen it. It accumulates for, for, for both Alvin and Taysom. They are guys that the hits do accumulate for them. It slows them down. The big plays sometimes go away after they've taken too many hits. So I think it's important, and, and it worked out really well against Seattle, to balance their touches and give them those, those opportunities at the right time. And I think the Saints did that without forcing it against Seattle. Ross? Yeah, I think when you look at the way that Alvin Kamara was deployed throughout this one too, um, you know, he had uh, – you know, runs in 11, 12, and 13 personnel. So they were putting big bodies in front of him to help pave the way. Uh, he had a lead blocker on a pretty hefty percentage of all of his runs, including guys like Taysom Hill from the backfield, but also J.P. Holtz, uh, who I thought really played well. Um, they, you know, had him the run. The screen s- pass. 
Yeah, yeah. Then they had him, you know, run all these different routes out of the backfield. The big screen pass was really well set up. Um, you know, they had utilized AK as a blocker pretty often throughout the game. So that was part of what helped to sell the linebackers on that screen pass that ended up going for, what was it, 54, 54. yards? Yeah. And then they had um, the other thing that I really liked that they did was that they, they lined him up in line out wide and in the slot for six different snaps, had him run um, routes sometimes. Other times he was actually blocking in other situations uh, as a pass blocker. And so just the diversity and sort of the variety of different ways they deployed them, the different areas of the field that they ran, they attacked right up the middle between Andrus Pete and uh, Cesar Ruiz for 44 yards for Alvin Kamara. But then Taysomeville had 93 yards on the outside, either side combined. And so they were really just able to attack the Seattle defense in a bunch of different ways. And I know that Seattle's defense isn't the strongest at all. In fact, it's one of the worst in the NFL, if not the worst in the NFL. They're 32nd when it comes to rushing yards allowed. But still seeing the way that this game plan came together for the New Orleans Saints, the way that they built it, it looks like all of the things that have been successful for them in years past. So I don't fully discount them just because they were going up against a bad defense. Fact of the matter is that every week some team goes up against the worst defense to play that week and the worst defense in the NFL and not all of them put up 236 rushing yards. Absolutely. And I think that that's the thing is you still have to go do it. Just because you're right. playing a bad team doesn't mean you're guaranteed results. And the Saints had to go out and execute. And they did that for the most part. They cut the turnovers down. Still, still you get the fumble out of Allen. You want that to mm-hmm. stop. But only one turnover for the game. I mean, two turnovers. You had the bad, not a bad interception by Andy Dalton, just a misplaced ball, but the, the thought was there. Um, but the, the, the penalties coming down was huge. And I think that that needs to carry over, obviously. You can't have double-digit turnovers, I mean, penalties every week. And the Saints were a little bit more disciplined, um, especially in not extending drives for their opponent defensively, which had been the biggest problem. Yeah, yeah, you gave up some big throws. And, and, and I got to give it a lot of credit to um, uh, Geno Smith because Geno, some of those throws, there's no defense against. He just made brilliant throws, and and that's part of it. But the Saints defense, they came up when they had to. You got sacks when you needed them on third down, especially late in the game. Cam Jordan's sack was as big as as any play. And then, Maddie, your personal uh, hero, and and I think the team's defensive MVP this year so far, Pete Werner. Chris Hogan? Oh, Pete Werner. <laughs> <laughs> Pete Werner just continues to play lights out football every week. I don't think anyone really expected his year two jump to be as exponential as it's been, especially Ross and I have talked about this. He only attended six training camp practices, and he really didn't attend many of his rookie season either and yet he still really I think outperformed expectations in that first season too but there was all this talk of losing Quan Alexander and yes you know he brings that energy and and friendship with Demario Davis but there's no need at this point like Pete Werner can cover and even when he's off a step he always tackles to strip the ball out and he's so good at doing it but just he his head is always on a swivel to me. He's always just so like fundamentally sound in the way he sets himself before the play and is able to sniff out run plays right away. And really hit he to me is kind of like the Taysom Hill in terms of being so quick off of his first step and his tackling technique. Like he's not the biggest guy out there, but pound for pound, that guy, when he hits someone, they're down. Like they're not 
getting extra yardage, yardage, they're going backwards. And I just think he has brought such a level to this defense that to me, he's been really the best player through six weeks now. Uh, and it's not really close for me, but I do think the pass rush coming on in that game was a really, really, really big factor, especially when you saw the coverage start to kind of dwindle here and there. There's not always going to be a perfect, well-rounded defensive performance, but we've seen the secondary have to do so much in these first few games. So the fact that they bent a little without Marcus May. They had, you know, Justin Evans back there at free safety really by himself a lot, even though he spent a lot of time in the slot to start the season. And I think they kind of exploited that middle of the field. But when you have your first two levels of defense playing the way that they were playing to only kind of allow those plays, that was really the only offense that Seattle could get going. Yeah, the Seattle relied on the big play. I mean, and that's something the Saints need to correct. You can't keep giving up six uh, big plays a game either, you know, 30 yards. Oh, they gave it up on the ground. They gave it up through the air. Um, that's something that needs to get corrected. But if the pass rush is getting going, Cincinnati's a great team to play against to continue that momentum. They give up a lot of sacks. They give up a lot of hits on Joe Burrow. And we also know Joe Burrow has taken some injuries um, and, and has, you know, missed games due to due to those hits. So it, it seems to me that, again, you know, the game the game is always one up front. But the Saints in particular this week need that carryover. You need to get three sacks. You need to get double-digit hits on the quarterback. And this is an opponent that will allow you to do so. Yeah, the Saints have three sacks in each of their last three games, and they started off the first two weeks with one combined on Tom Brady. Now, of course, there were different types of pass rushing styles. You're not actually trying to get sacks against Marcus Mariota. You're just trying to keep him from running, but he still had 72 rushing yards, 70-whatever rushing yards in that game, so they didn't necessarily contain him. Uh, so the mobile quarterback continues to be an issue. But when you get to some of these other guys that they've played here recently, Baker Mayfield, Kirk Cousins, and then just this past week in Geno Smith, these are all more traditional pocket uh, passer types. And Joe Burrow is a traditional pocket passer type, and he doesn't have the best offensive line in front of him. That was an offensive line that wasn't much of a story last week, which was good for Cincinnati. But Leal Collins is not, you know, if you're going to give me Leal Collins or you know, choice between Leo Collins or uh, Cam Jordan. I'm going to choose Cam Jordan every time. Jonah Williams, if he's not able to go, that makes a big deal. T. Higgins, he's a wide receiver, so we'll, we know he'll end up playing against the New Orleans Saints, even though he's dealing with injuries this every week. Every injured receiver goes. comes back against the <laughs> right. New Orleans Saints. Right. But if for any reason he's not there, then that does take one of those receivers away, which gives you an opportunity to play more, um, you know, split safety coverages, cover two, cover four, even cover six if you feel fancy, And then you're able to do the things that have eliminated the passing game for the Cincinnati Bengals. And it just dare them to beat you with the run game, which the Saints have been pretty continued to be stout against, um, you know, uh, with the expert of a couple of 100 yard rushers, which was out of the ordinary for them. But for the most part, they've been fine uh, in that area. So I think that you're able to do the things that you need to do if you have kind of the dice roll your way. But all in all, you have to win this game in the trenches uh, on the defensive side for sure. Yeah, and Maddie, you look at Cincinnati as well. They're one of the worst rushing teams in the NFL, only average 3.3 yards per carry. So the Saints, which already already have a good run defense, um, that should be in their advantage, which again leads to opportunities where hopefully you can get home with your front four, you know, it just seems like the the, the things are setting up well. You, you 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 need these home wins. You've lost too many home games already. But now to get these two opponents after that tough London loss, we thought the schedule was going to be ridiculously tough early on. But the way Cincinnati's played, this kind of breaks in a good way if the Saints can play up to their potential. 
Yeah. And the, and the crowd really did make a difference. I think Dennis Allen made a point to mention that it was really loud last week. And I know, you know, Joe Burrow hills from LSU and that might be one thing here or, the, or there, but I, I think it really does kind of come down to that front four. Like uh, Sean Payton has said in the past, it's a passing game. So we drafted a defensive end and that sounds a little bizarre on its face, but the fact is if the quarterback can't get the ball off, then there's really no passing game to be had and just, you know, like we joke about it, about wide receivers coming back. But with Marshawn Lattimore being hurt this week, still not really knowing about Marcus May's status and Paulson Adebo has kind of been a little shaky coming back from his injury. I think that that really has played a role, especially when you look at how he's gotten beat a lot in man coverage situations. To me, that's just kind of a foot race thing more than a mental blip. Uh, that pass rush really has to get home if they're kind of hurting in the secondary, because that's a team that, like, you know, you look at Seattle and the fact that they really only had those explosive plays going, you have to kind of get to the quarterback early and and get Joe Burrow kind of rattled back there because if they're able to kind of set up a rhythm in the passing game, that would be kind of my only worry. Um, and so then again, it, it just kind of comes down to the offense, who at least we know is capable of putting up a 30-point game now, and that's something really we haven't seen throughout the season. So I'll also be curious to see how they kind of attack this offensively and avoid, you know, the Bengals pass rush with Trey Hendrickson uh, right there. I think he'll be matched up with James Hurst. So that'll be a uh, really good test for the new left tackle uh, and whoever ends up kind of being under center. And that's where you know we can get into this conversation. But if it's a health thing for Jameis Winston, I'm looking at Trey Hendrickson and I'm saying maybe not this week. Yeah, I I don't know if I'd bring Jameis Winston back just yet. I think you you kind of ride it out, and 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 you can be a hundred percent with him. You can you can not risk it, knowing that this is a game you should probably win. If you if you take care of the football, if you don't make mistakes, if you if you if kicker makes his kicks, this is a game at home. You know it might be tight. All the Saints games this year have been tight pretty much. So, yeah, it'll probably be another tight game, but this is one you should be able to win without Jameis. And to me, and we talk about this every year, you want to be playing your best your last six, seven games. So if Jameis is healthy down the stretch, if your receivers are healthy down the stretch and you've got a fully equipped uh, you know, set of weapons back there, then, yeah, then you make your push. But right now you're just trying to hang in and, and survive and, and keep, you know, battling uh, in the water until you get everything back. And there's just so much. Like you said, there's 13 people listed as questionable as of yesterday. And we'll see what happens today. But 13 and they're at significant and important positions as well. So this is a banged up team. I think survival this weekend is important. You want to shorten this game offensively have consistent drives, you know, and the Saints did a good job of not getting into a ton of three out three and outs where they led the lead the league still, I think, um, after five weeks. So, I mean, all those things, Cincinnati's a, a middle of the road defensive team. I mean, I, I, so I think you, you have opportunities there for the Saints to execute and still put up 20 plus points at home in an environment that I think, yeah, I think there will be more Cincinnati fans than, than people expect because it's Joe Burrow and because they're excited and they want to travel. But I think Saints fans, real Saints fans, they'll cheer for Joe Burrow the moment he runs out onto the field. But then after that, I think the crowd absolutely turns and tries to kill him. Jamar Chase, Trey Hendrickson, uh, you got what Eli else? Apple. The, Eli Apple. Eli Apple, And Von Bell. Um, Von Bell. So, yeah, there's no love. You know how it is. Once you leave New Orleans and you put on another jersey, there's no love anymore. We've, that, that, that relationship is severed. 
what I'm what I'm most interested in seeing and looking forward to is watching all of the people that show up in Joe Burrow jerseys <laughs> booing Joe Burrow. That's gonna be <laughs> that's gonna be my favorite part. Like because because you know there's gonna be people that are gonna show up in Joe Burrow Cincinnati Bengals jerseys, but there's gonna be a bunch of people that are gonna show up Joe in Burrow, Joe LSU Burrow jerseys. LSU jerseys, right? Mm-hmm. And then the R E A U X jerseys are gonna be out in full swing and everything like that. But like those are Joe Burrow fans. Those are not Cincinnati Bengals fans. So they'll quickly turn on Joe Burrow while wearing his jersey. <laughs> I just hope that they give the fans something to boo about. You know, yeah. you want the Saints to, to to be aggressive again. And that's the main thing is the, when they're at their best, it's because they are intimidating. The Superdome is an intimidating place to play. And, and it has not been for the last year. I mean, we just we've seen it. They've not done well at home and it's not on the crowd. No, it ain't no, on a no. crowd. I mean, it's it's all of those little things. And I think this is the test for Dennis Allen. Because I thought it was weird, and I want to get you guys' thoughts real quick on this. You know, you have Sean Payton doing his stuff on Fox, and he's talking to Mark Ingram. And the relationship, again, it's there, and it feel it felt awkward to have them interviewing during the season and them talking about the fumbling and stuff. If I'm Dennis Allen, I don't want you to have that conversation. I can't stop you from having it, but it just looks like you're highlighting the differences between what the locker room used to be like under Sean and the type of discipline and the standards that he expected. And even if that's not the intent, it's a comparison to how Dennis handles things. And I thought that it just wasn't, if I'm Mark, I might've thought better of having that conversation on national television. See, I took it as more of a, like, it's so what Sean Payton is known for. And you get those kind of sound bites of like, put on the effing cleats kind of thing where- It's almost kind of like a joking manner. Um, I I had kind of joked that that game plan looked like it had Sean Payton's fingerprints all over it this last week. But I think everyone's been thinking the same thing. Like, if Sean was here, like, you you wouldn't necessarily see these fumbles continue. And I don't know if that's just like an attitude thing or or what it is or just a circumstantial thing. But I, I guess you could read it one way or the other. But I think, like, Dennis Allen is just really settled into a laid back attitude. And I think that can have its pros and cons. And on the same side, I think, you know, being that kind of more aggressive coach can also have its pros and cons. So I think Allen has taken just kind of a patient approach to the season. He hasn't gotten flustered despite having quarterback health issues and the fact that they are the most penalized team in the league in uncertain situations and we're, you know, leading in fumbles. Uh, So I think that there's a flip side and a downside to that and kind of what you're saying where, I think kind of the patient approach of Dennis Allen. I'm curious to see if it comes together because like I said, I feel like last week was kind of to me the turning point in Dennis Allen's team is starting to find an identity. It's kind of scrappy, but it's finding a way to win in whichever way possible, even if it's not necessarily pretty and you have to put Keith Keith Kirkwood out there again. Uh, It didn't really seem like the offense really suffered despite not having Michael Thomas, Jarvis Landry losing Chris Olave halfway through the game. I thought that really stood out to me that the offense really didn't skip a beat. And he kind of allowed that hot hand with Taysom Hill, where I think a lot of coaches might have gotten a little ahead of themselves and, okay, let's kind of dial it back on this thing. So I think the fact that he kind of let that fly, I'm really curious to see what the game plan is this week, if they continue to use that Taysom Hill in the same way, if he starts to play him off Alvin Kamara Ross. No, yeah, yeah. I just to to your point about like riding the hot hand with Taysom Hill. I asked Dennis and his Monday availability, like, "Yo, was that the game plan? Like from the very mm-hmm. beginning to just 
go off with Taysom Hill or was that something that kind of you saw the success in it and so it continued to kind of build up and what he basically said was that it was a little bit of both like they knew that Taysom Hill was going to be a big part and they were, they were going to focus on Taysom Hill in this game but then as they saw the plays working and kind of saw the way that Seattle was handling it or more appropriately not handling not. it then they you know continued to lean in on it too so I think that is an important point that you highlight that you know, the, the team had a lot of injuries. They didn't have their top three wide receivers on the field, but didn't miss a beat because instead in this game, they built their identity off of the talent that they did have. And then they leaned in on that talent as it was being productive, which was a, a really smart move. Um, Just the injury situation, who do we think will be available and who is still outside of Jameis, um, who is still likely out? And I think obviously I think we'd also say Chris Olave is going to miss this week with the concussion protocol. There's no no need to risk it. The guy's the best rookie in the NFL right now. Yeah, I think the two players that you're looking at and saying, I hope they can really, I hope they can get out on the field and that have maybe the best shot to get out on the field this week are Jarvis Landry and Marcus May. It sounds like Jarvis Landry wasn't super far off last week. It sounds like Marcus May wasn't super far off last week either. And so I think that getting the two of them back, that helps you big time. Uh, I don't expect that they'll have Michael Thomas or Chris Olave this week. I know there were a lot of rumors floating around that maybe they were aiming at this week being a day that he would return. But to me, that means that that was the earliest part of the timeline. So the following week was probably more realistic, but we'll see. You know, we'll see. They would certainly love to have Michael Thomas back out there. He's had success against the Cincinnati Bengals in the past. And so, uh, you know, I think realistically, Marcus May and Jarvis Landry, the two of the bigger names that you're watching for and hope they're going to be able to get out there. Marshall Lattimore is one that I'm most concerned about, uh, especially considering the wide receivers that are, you know, going to be hitting the field for Cincinnati. I tend to think on the exact same way, uh, but I do think Marcus May is really the key because I think what you've also seen is is Tyron Matthews kind of star power go down as a result because he's they haven't really done what we saw throughout training camp, which was all the disguised looks, them dropping back into cover two, Marcus May coming down into the box. You know, they kind of miss that versatility. Like when they put PJ Williams back out there, it was kind of obvious he was going to drop back at free safety. You don't really think of PJ Williams as a box safety really that much. And it seemed like they kind of stuck with that with Justin Evans. But I think that's really where at least the explosive play abilities, uh, especially if you're looking at Marshawn Lattimore as kind of a maybe I think like Marcus May has really been kind of the biggest absence in that backfield. And then Jarvis Landry is just such a reliable pass catcher and on those kind of short plays that, again, it's kind of the dink and dunking. But as long as that's taking time off, I think that was the first game of the Saints really one time of possession by a few minutes at that. And actually, there's more than one, you know, five minute drive. It wasn't just one minute and then they were off the field, which made the explosive plays on defense a little more mind boggling because they weren't you couldn't really use that same exhausted excuse that you were able to kind of point to those uh, earlier weeks. But I'd agree that those seem the most realistic and they are the most impactful. Greater right. than a 15 minute difference, by the way, in time of possession in this game. So seven, seven and a half is the swing, wow. but 15, 15 minutes was the difference. And, and it's it's just, uh, I think it's so important both offensively and defensively. And we didn't see that through weeks one through four was that when you get teams, you know, teams were able to flip the field so much against the Saints. Like even mm-hmm. when they didn't score, they were getting one or two first downs and then putting themselves in a good position to, to, to pin the Saints 70 and 80 yards away from the end zone. 
Well, they did a much better job against that in Seattle and had better field position. And offensively, conversely, they didn't have a ton of three and outs and were able to make Seattle at times work um, and not have to have the short field. Can't give Cincinnati a short field. I mean, you don't want to put them in position to to run those those deep plays, those plays that are that are going to put points on the board six, uh, quickly. And you want to shorten this game. If, if you're the Saints, you want this game to be over in two and a half hours. If it's a game where Joe Burrow threw 40 passes and Andy Dalton threw 30 plus passes, I'd bet the Saints lose. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I think it's to me, it's yeah, you want to be in that that situation where you're you're at near 30 carries again. Um, if not more than that, uh, and, and just beating uh, the Cincinnati into submission. Yeah, they yeah, ran the, the ball thing- 48 times. 48 times <laughs> in that game against Seattle after throwing the ball only 25. So they nearly doubled up in terms of run attempt versus pass attempts. I think they're going to have to do something similar because I just keep thinking this is kind of the worst time to have this game because of the short week that follows it with Arizona being a Thursday night game. And so mm-hmm. that's also the only thing where I give pause to those maybe injury guys is do they kind of save them because of the short week? So that is my only concern. This is really bad timing being that they are the team that they are. And so I do think like as much as they can run the clock, run the ball and just get off the field and not get any additional injuries because you have to turn around on that short week and travel to Arizona. So that's to me where if they're, you know, if we don't see players back, it really has to be kind of a ground and pound type of game where I think you keep leaning into the Taysom Hill thing. You keep kind of playing him off of Alvin Kamara because when they're both out there, now it really is a question. And if it's just something as simple as Taysom Hill handing it off to Alvin Kamara, that's still something that even if the defense has to pause for half a second, if they're able to break through. And then, you know, Alvin Kamara, everyone kind of jokes about him making business decisions by running out of bounds, but I think that's exactly the thing. Like you look at Christian McCaffrey or you don't look at Christian McCaffrey because he's never on the field because the Panthers just don't know how to utilize him. Like Ross and I had talked with the zebra technology guys about how Sean Payton was one of the early adopters of their technology and how that really helped them see how they were overusing Reggie Bush and really scale that back accordingly. And I have kind of looked at every running back through that lens moving forward and also with Matt Ree and his approach to injury, I think is kind of the smart approach of I'd rather wait an additional week than put them out there where they're 75% and make it worse. Like, yes, I know everyone in the league is playing hurt at all times, but there's such a fine line. And when it comes to certain soft tissue injuries that if you aggravate it, then it becomes an additional three, four week issue. And again, just with that short week, I think that they really have to kind of play it smart at this point, but I, I just, you know, in terms of people kind of giving Alvin Kamara a snark for those kind of things, well, that's why he's able to kind of be out there in week 16 and a lot of guys at that point aren't. And I think also Taysom Hill plays a role in that. Before we go, uh, Maddie, give me your three keys to the game and a prediction. Uh, Taysom Hill is a key to the game at this point and continuing to use him in a creative way. Like I said, I really want to see them play him off Alvin Kamara a little more because we saw it on about three plays during that game. Uh, I, I think getting to the quarterback and and the pass rush is another huge key. And then I would kind of say on special teams, like we could really use some solid kick returns. We haven't really seen that be the case this season. I don't know who it's going to be because Deontay Hardy has a turf toe issue. Taysom Hill has seemed to be successful Deontay back Hardy there, so some why issues. not? Yeah, yeah, there's already got some issues. There's, there's a lot who are ready to move him out of town, which is a serious fall from grace for a guy who was beloved last year. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know exactly what's going on there, but at this point, you know, they say that it is an injury, but you saw Taysom and it's like, oh, that actually kind of makes sense. And I also want to credit Taysom for, and I'm going to knock on wood now, but the fumbling thing was his biggest issue when he was under center. And I think that his ball security the last two seasons has really kind of gotten better. I don't know if that's something he's explicitly worked on, but before I would be afraid to put him back there. And now it's okay. Maybe why not? But I think really that key on special teams. And then I guess a prediction I'm really bad at score predictions. Cause one time I gave like a score got me one, but I'll just say like, 30 to 27 Saints. I think it's going to be really, really close. And I honestly do think it's going to kind of come down to perhaps a heroic field goal by Will Lutz, but they're in the dome. There's no wind. So I, I, I can see the Saints getting it done in a very scrappy manner. Ross? Um, I My three are you have to generate pressure with the front four over on defense, be able to make Joe Burrow uncomfortable. And I don't mean this in a Greg Williams kind of way, but you have to hit him, right? Like you, you have to let him know that you're there. It can't just be that you're in his face. So it, uh, you know, ideally interior rush, but whatever it is that you can generate uh, will be good. Establishing the run game again with Alvin Kamara, I think that's a, a huge piece. And when we say run game, we know we're also talking about the short, quick passing game as well. Screen game, p- passes out to the flats, quick passes, things like that, that are all a part of that for this uh, <laughs> New Orleans Saints um, scheme and offense. And then the last piece, uh, I'm going to echo uh, Maddie in terms of uh, kick return in, in particular. It's going to be Weber State uh, undrafted free agent rookie Rashid Shahid, who has the FCS record for all-time uh, return touchdowns, kick return touchdowns with seven. Uh, he's up there in terms of yardage and everything as well. I mean, he comes in with a resume as impressive as Deontay's was coming into the NFL as an undrafted free agent. Um, and so I, I think it's going to be a little be bit him. bigger, a little bit bigger. Yeah. Six foot, still only 180 pounds though, but Hey, it's, you know, it's still, still bigger. Um, the New Orleans Saints right now are 29th when it comes to their own average starting field position. They're 32nd in the NFL when it comes to the starting field position that they've allowed to other teams. They've done a terrible job flipping the field and putting themselves in good start starting situation. Their average drive start is 25.1 yards, so basically a touchback. And that is unheard of when it comes to the New Orleans Saints. Usually, they're on the entire opposite side of both of those spectrums. So special teams have just been a disaster so far this season, and that's a big part of it. Um, the Cincinnati Bengals have lost three games this season, just like the New Orleans Saints. The difference is that all three games that the Cincinnati Bengals have lost have been on last second field goals uh, or last second plays, like as time ticked away. Uh, I am going to take the Cincinnati Bengals to win uh, this week and to flip that fate, and they'll win on a last second field goal, 24 to 21 in the dome. Well, I'm, I'm going to get my score first, 24-20 Saints. I think that they, they do pull it out. Um, my keys are starting fast. Again, you mm-hmm. have to put up points in the first half, give yourself a lead and an opportunity to close in the second. Uh, turnovers, of course, you know, you have an opportunity to force them. Cincinnati has shown, you know, and Joe Burrow has shown the ability, the propensity to throw some picks at times this year in bunches. So if you get that pressure, try to create some turnovers. That has not been good for the Saints. And I think the third thing is absolutely, that. yeah, establish the run, stay physical um, and and and, and shorten this this ball game, but I think the Saints are capable of doing all those things. It's can they be again, you know, can they be consistent? And that's been their biggest question, you know, going back to training camp as we wondered about the consistency of this group. But um, guys, 
Um, I know you're a rush. You got to go. And, 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 and I know we're all busy, but I just want to say thank you all uh, for coming back again and doing this. And we will do one in person this season, all three of us together in the same room. Um, and, and I just, I love you both so much. And uh, it's just always a pleasure to talk to you. Love you, brother. Yeah, the feeling is so mutual, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Until the next time, um, I am David Grubb, a.k.a. Uh, Ricky Jackson. He is <laughs> Ross Jackson, a.k.a. Sam Mills. And she is Maddie Hudak, a.k.a. Vaughn Johnson. And I say that with the greatest amount of love because she is an assassin and a murderer um, on the field. <laughs> this has been hard to paint you know how to follow me on instagram and twitter and you know how to follow these two great uh guests as well so until the next time y'all be good and uh, go saints